Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. Wasn't that great to be able to worship the Lord together with those young ladies this morning? Thank you. And Chris and Levi. It was good. It was very good. I enjoyed that very much. Uh, a lot of thanks goes out to Pastor Jason and his team as they continue to develop uh, our, our students here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, Stephen plays a role in that too, and we're just grateful for them. You know, uh, we've been talking about defining moments in life, and uh, particularly defining moments in, in our faith. And uh, one of the defining moments that happens in our walk with the Lord is when we realize that religion for Jesus is not the same thing as faith in Jesus. You understand that, right? I mean, there's a lot of things done in the name of Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that people have placed their, their faith in Jesus. And uh, this is most clearly seen by the way we treat people who are different than us. That's when that comes out the most. Because uh, a lot of times, if, if we're doing things for Jesus, uh, we, we do it with people who are like us. I mean, we, we, I mean, look around the room. There's a lot of people in here like us. We all look the same. Uh, we we kind of have similar backgrounds, and there's a lot of similarities. And the real test of our faith comes when we're introduced to someone who's not like us. And, and, and can, can Jesus, is Jesus for them too? Now we say, listen, most of us who are sitting in this room, watching online, if you've been in church for a long time, we all know the correct answer to that question. We all say, yes, Jesus is for them, yes. But do they see that from us. Because sometimes what we say and what we actually do are not necessarily the same. And that's, that's when we begin to wrestle with this whole idea of, of, you know, there's religion for Jesus and then there's really, there's faith in Jesus and, and these are two different things. And we're going to see something in, a, in, in the passage that we're looking at this morning where, where Jesus deals specifically with this with his disciples. You know, uh, last week when uh, we were together, uh, we taught Jesus, we, we looked at where Jesus taught that sin comes from the heart, right? That, that that's where sin comes from. We, we do not get dirty by being around people who are sinning. You understand that, right? I mean, if someone around us is sinning, that doesn't mean I'm I'm done something wrong. 
and my interaction with people who are different than me. They may have different belief systems. They may have different values than I. Just because, just because I work with them or, or because I interact with them or I go to a ball game with them or, or maybe, maybe I go to school with them or, or you know, even if I might be a friend with them, that just because they're one way doesn't mean I'm that way. My sin comes from me, not from being around them. Jesus taught that in the passage that we looked at last week. And, and what we're going to look at this week is just the very next passage. Jesus, he does something very unusual, very uh, outside the box for his day and time. And it was a lesson to his disciples, and it's a lesson for me and for you. In Mark chapter 7, after Jesus has just taught his disciples where sin comes from and the fact that people, being around people, doesn't make you a sinner, he does something. He it says, the Bible tells us, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. So Jesus goes to Tyre. Tyre was a, a pagan city. It was not a Jewish city. These were not God-fearing people. In fact, these people had developed a culture that was very much not the Old Testament. They, they didn't follow the laws of God, the Ten Commandments. That, that, that wasn't part of their culture at all. Yet this is where Jesus takes his disciples. And in Jewish, in his time, for him to do this, this would have made him unclean. It would have defiled him. In other words, the religious leaders would have looked at him and said, you're canceled. You're canceled because you've done something that is socially unacceptable for a Jew or a God-fearing person to do. You have gone to a pagan city, and not only did you go to that city, you entered a house there. You entered a house in that city. Now, I don't know the details behind that. I don't know if he rented that space. I don't know if he just made a friend and went there. I, I don't know. But he took his disciples into a pagan household to speak to them, to teach them, to have time with them. And I'm telling you, that was very unordinary for any God-fearing person to do. Yet that's what Jesus has done. He went there to teach his disciples privately, but because of his fame, because of who he was and what he was doing, he could not remain incognito. And you're going to see that as we go through this story. But, you know, to try to relate this, let me, let me give you an idea. I have discovered, I've, I've been living here in, in New Franklin, in the Manchester area, uh, for about eight years. Great place to live, okay? It's wonderful being here. But I have discovered that if I truly want to have a private meeting with someone so that none of you know that I'm meeting with that person, do you know where the best place for me to go is? Manchester Pub. 
because none of you are there. None of you go to the Manchester pub, which, by the way, happens to have some really good wings, okay? But my point here is that this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is seeking a place to go where he can be alone with his disciples. And he has chosen a place on purpose that God-fearing people won't go to. Are you following what's going on? This is unordinary. This is, this is different from the way he normally, as we read the rest of the Gospels and how he interacted with his disciples and how he taught his disciples, he's trying to prove a point to his disciples. That guys being in this city, being in this household, that doesn't make us unclean. Do you follow? That's what he's doing. The Bible tells us that even though he went there to be in private with his disciples, people found out he was there. And it says, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, we don't have time this morning, but there's another account of this in Matthew chapter 15. If you want to jot that down, I encourage you to go read that account. It gives a little, bif- a little different flavor of what's going on as Matthew saw it unfold. Mark is probably writing down Peter's memories of how this unfolded. But Matthew's account, it's a little more flavorful. And it it provides some details. And one of the details that it provides is is that Matthew tells us that when this woman, this Greek Syrophoenician woman, when she came to Jesus and fell at his feet and began to beg for his help, she did it over and over again, and Jesus ignored her. He ignored her. He simply did not respond to her cries for help, even though she was kneeling at his feet asking for help. And it wasn't, Matthew tells us, that it wasn't until the disciples came to Jesus and said, you need to tell her to go away. That it wasn't until they did that that he acknowledged that she was even there. This is a social, eyebrow-raising moment. First, that there's this woman, this, this woman who did not talk like a Jew. She did not dress like a God-fearing woman. She, she did not have the values, nor did she have the experiences. She's nothing like the women, the disciples, And Jesus spend most of their time around. She approaches Jesus, falls at his feet, and begins to cry for help. This is is not normal. And second, it's not normal for Jesus to ignore somebody who's asking for help. So can you imagine what the disciples must be thinking? 
about what's going on and what's happening. Listen, the equivalent, the equivalent of something like this happening would be like, be like an openly gay couple coming to church. That's different for our context. That's, that's very, that, it, it, would be like, it would be like a registered criminal, someone that we're all aware, they, they show up at church. If we were in an inner city environment, it would be like a homeless person walking in. And how we would all feel and how that's so different than, than our regular experience when we come to church. This, this was a very irregular moment for the disciples. And for them to process what was happening and for them to process how Jesus was responding to this woman. That's a defining moment. What do we do in those moments? When we're around people who are simply not like us. And they're saying that they want, they want to come to Jesus. How do, how do we respond in those moments? That's a defining moment for many of us in our faith journey. I want to pause right here and talk about four obstacles that, unfortunately, church people have when it comes to believing and accepting that God is at work in a situation. Because sometimes what happens is that the people we rub shoulders with and, and the encounters that we have, especially with people who are very different than us, that, that when, when we encounter them and, and, and we're kind of thrust in that situation, sometimes we have, as, as church people, we have a hard time believing God's in it. You know, that God's doing something in that moment. And, and we find it in this passage. And the, the first obstacle for many of us to believe that God is working in someone's life is social awkwardness. When things begin to get socially awkward, for many of us, it can be that that's the line. That's where we stop representing Jesus. We stop believing God is doing something. We, and we begin to think, you know what? I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to get messy with this. What this woman did was very socially awkward. I mean, first of all, she's a woman. And in biblical times, women, especially women in the United States today, they, didn't have, they don't have the rights, they don't have the freedoms and the privileges that, that, United, that, that, that females in the American culture have. It's no big deal for a, a female to approach a man for any reason in our culture, but it was a big deal for any female to approach any man in that day and time and to fall at his feet and to begin to ask for his help. It was almost scandalous for that to happen. 
So it's a socially awkward moment. And like I've already said, first, at first she's a woman, but, but she's not a God-fearing woman, which makes it even more socially awkward. You know, what's interesting is that if you took the time to read the Gospel of Mark, the last time someone fell at the feet of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark happens two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 5. It was a Jewish synagogue leader named Jairus who came and fell at the feet of Jesus and began to beg him for help. And you know what? The disciples didn't ask Jesus to send him away. But yet they come to him and say, you need to send this woman away. That's what's going on in this passage. It's very socially awkward. The second thing that, that becomes an obstacle for us is, is, is a questionable belief system. You see, Phoenicians, this particular woman, she uh, comes from a culture that's known for their pagan idolatry and their opposition to, to Israel's one God and their opposition to, to the rules of that one God. The Phoenicians, they had no respect whatsoever for the, what we would call the Ten Commandments or the prophets. So this woman's coming from a very different belief system than the disciples are used to being around. And for you and I, that can happen in our lives where we encounter people whose belief systems are very different than our own. When we go out and we represent Christ in the world, whether that be in the workplace or at school or uh, sometimes with our own extended families, so we, we, we get out there and, and we encounter these individuals that, that come into our life they don't believe like we believe. And for many of us, that in itself is enough to just stop representing Christ to them. Because it gets kind of messy. They may, may, they may ask me a question I can't answer. Can I tell you something? It happens to me all the time. People have never been turned away by it. They're not looking for answers they're looking for someone who's genuine. That's what they're looking for. But for many of us, people that come to us with a different belief system, uh, I don't know, I might mess up. As if doing nothing is the right thing to do. You see, doing nothing is the mess up but we forget that. That becomes something that keeps us from believing that God is doing something. I can't imagine, but wonder, what had this woman been exposed to? What rituals has she been a part of for her to even have the problem that she's expressing to Jesus? Which that question in itself reveals my own prejudice about people who come from other belief systems and wondering what it is that they're doing that would create the problems that they're having in their life. 
It's an obstacle for many of us. A third obstacle that, that we encounter that we see in here is an immoral lifestyle. The Phoenicians didn't just have different gods. They had a whole different moral standard. And we're running into that more and more in our culture, are we not? Not people who just don't believe. Their entire value system is different. They define marriage differently. They might define gender roles differently. They might define integrity differently. They, they might define a work ethic completely different than the way we would. And to engage with them and believe that, that God might be trying to reach them, that God through Christ might be trying to redeem them, and, and that he's placed us in close vicinity to that person to play a role so that that person might find Christ. And, and you and I think, oh, there's no way God's in this. Why else would he put us there around people who are so different than us? See, do we really believe that Jesus can save anybody or do we believe he only saves people like us? That's what's going on in this passage. There's a fourth obstacle. And that's a dysfunctional family. Man, there's nothing people like to gawk out more than dysfunctional families. Families that are coming apart at the seams or, or there's some type of drama within a family that makes it stand out. Can I tell you something? Every family is dysfunctional. Every one of them is dysfunctional. It's just that some of us are better at covering it up than others are. But they're all dysfunctional in some form or some fashion. And, and this woman has a dysfunctional family. She has a daughter that's demon-possessed. I mean, that's every TV show talk host's dream, is it not? Let's get that on TV for everyone to see. Sometimes when God places us in close proximity to someone who has a very dysfunctional family, it's like, oh, I don't want to be around that. How could God possibly be in that? And it becomes an obstacle for us. I'll tell you something that happened to me one time. I was pastoring in another place, another region of the United States. It was Easter. I'll never forget it. It was Easter Sunday. Preached a message, and when it was over with, there was a lady that came. That During that time, we still did altar calls. The lady came forward at the end of the service. She came up, and she whispered quietly into my ear. These were the first, I did not know her. I'd never met her before. And she whispered into my ear, I'm the product. I'm the product of incest. I missed half of my Easter lunch that day as I sat and talked with her and listened to her tell her story about how years of counseling had not helped her and how years of going and seeing people and trying to reach the place where she could forgive 
her father. For not what only he had done for her to be born, but what he continued to do to her after she was born. It is not how I wanted to spend my Easter. But that woman and her husband became good friends of Cherry and I, and we got to see the Lord do something magnificent in their lives. But for many of us, we would say, and even I would say, listen, that's not what I wanted to deal with that day. There was part of me that just wanted to say, let me pray for you and walk away. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us do. Let me give you my complimentary prayer and get away as fast as I can. Because I, I don't want to deal with this dysfunction. That's what's going on in this passage. Do we really believe Jesus can help anyone? Do we? Or is it just the people we're comfortable being around? Those are the only people he's asked us to help. The ones that are close to being, close to being like me. That's what's going on here. And Jesus does something very interesting. He responds to this woman. Finally, he responds to her pleas for help. And notice what he says. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, this is perceived to be the meanest thing Jesus ever says. He basically calls this woman a dog. And he's telling a parable. He, he enters into telling a story. And he's using a, a common household image that is familiar to many of us. When he says dog here, he's, he's talking about a household pet. He's not talking about a street scavenger. Still not very complimentary, but I'll tell you right now, people spend more on their pets than they do in giving to the Lord in Christian circles. Did you know that? They give more to their pets. So some of us really treasure our pets. And so he's painting a, an image of this, that there's, this, there's a dog within a family. This is their household pet, and they love this dog. And he says, you know what? In a household, even the dog's, they, you know, we don't, we don't toss the food that we prepare for the family to the dog. That's what he's saying to her. She's asking for help, and he's saying, we prepare things for our, for our families. We don't prepare the food for the dog. Not very complimentary. Doesn't sound like it, does it? Doesn't sound very good. What is Jesus doing? What is he saying? This Gentile woman has come to her and is claiming that Jesus is God and that he can save her daughter. She's claiming that. She's claiming faith and she's asking for help from Jesus. And Jesus is saying to her, in essence, he is saying, if you know who I am, 
am, then you know I've come to reveal myself to the Jews first. They are God's people, and it's out of order for me to give to you what they haven't even accepted themselves. That's what Jesus is saying to her through a parable, through a story. He's saying, if I, if, if, if I respond to you, I'm giving something to you that even the ones who I came, I imagine him <laughs> kind of referring to the disciples, I, I, I came to reveal myself to them, to let them know I'm the Savior of the world. You get it, and for me to help you is kind of out of order. That's how he responds to her. And this leads to an observation that you and I do not like. We do not like this. And that is simply this. Claims of faith are always tested. This woman has made a claim of faith. This, this woman who is not a God-fearing woman or, or gives no appearance of being a God-fearing woman. She comes with a, a very dysfunctional situation. She does it very socially awkwardly. She's heard of Jesus, but, but she's at the end of her rope. And she comes to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she begs him for mercy. She is making a claim, a statement of faith. And Jesus tests her faith with the comment that he says back to her. And he does the same thing to you and I. If you and I are going to claim faith in Christ, if we're going to make a statement that we believe in Jesus, then you and I need to be ready. He's going to place us in situations regularly and consistently to test the fact that we say we believe in him. Does that make sense? Do we really believe in him? Well, he'll, let, 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 here's a test. Will you trust him in this? And so with this woman, Jesus is testing her faith with his comment of this parable, this story of comparing her to being a household pet. I don't know, what would you do if someone called you a household pet? If you came asking help from someone and you're saying I believe in you and I'm trusting you you can help my daughter and this was the response you got what would be the first words out of your mouth I don't know what I would say but I can tell you what her first word was Lord Lord she replied even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So Jesus, he responds to her with this whole parable of the household pet. And guess what? This woman gets it. She gets it. She understands what Jesus is saying. She 
She's saying, in essence, with her response, by saying Lord, she is accepting what Jesus is saying. And she is basically saying the Jews may consider themselves more important, and that's fine. But she's saying, I know I'm in the house, and I know there's a good master in this house. And even when the crumbs hit the floor, I get to take part of the generosity of the master. You see what she's saying? You know, in my house, I have a dog, Dixie. Cherry and I, well, that's an incorrect statement. Cherry fixes a lot of food in our house. I've never known her to prepare a meal for Dixie. It's for the people in the house. But when the people in the house sit down to eat, Sometimes crumbs hit the floor, and Dixie loves it, and she becomes the benefactor of Cherry's generosity and love and sacrifice. Does that make sense? Why? Because she's in the house. My next-door neighbor's dog's not in the house. That dog's not getting... That dog's not getting, is not the benefactor of Cherry's love and sacrifice and efforts that went into that meal. My dog is. This woman is saying, I get it. I get it. You can't. It's almost as if she understands Jesus' purpose better than the disciples do. She is saying, I totally understand that you're here to reveal yourself to the Jews, but I believe in you. And just as a dog gets to eat the crumbs off the floor, your crumbs are sufficient to help me. That is amazing that she responded that way. The Bible says, well, at least another observation, that is true faith knows Christ's love and redemption are withheld from no one. And that's what this woman is declaring. She understands that, that truly, irregardless of her background, irregardless of her dysfunctional family, the value system that she grew up in, the, the culture she's a part of, the things she may have done in her past or been a part of in her past, none of that matters. She knows that Jesus is enough to help her. And true biblical faith knows that. It learns that there are no people so far that Jesus can't reach them. Do you believe that? I mean, we live in some pretty crazy times. Do you believe there's no person so far from God that Jesus can't reach them? I don't think some of you believe it. You know why? Because some of us don't act like we believe it. As long as it's someone who looks like me, is close to the value system that I have, close to what I believe, close to how I see the world, as long as they fall in that category, why, yes, I believe God is reaching them through Christ. 
But what about the people that don't fit in your round hole? What about all the square pegs out there? Is Jesus for them too? Yes, he is. When this woman replied to Jesus this way, Mark records this. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. So Mark's record of this encounter is a bit anticlimactic compared to Matthew's. Look at what Matthew records for us in Matthew 15, verse 28. It says, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Do you know there are only two times in the Bible that Jesus told someone that they had great faith? This woman and a Roman centurion. That when Jesus walked on earth, the only people that he could find great faith in were people that he initially was not there to reveal himself to. But Gentiles. Two people who were not supposed to get it Got it. And I just wonder, all the people out there who don't fit in our round holes that are square pegs, how close are they to getting it? If someone would just represent Christ to them. You see, being religious does not guarantee that we understand what God is really trying to do. It doesn't guarantee that one has faith. We can be religious and not have faith. And a defining moment comes to realize, when we go through a defining moment, we realize that, that really Jesus can save anyone. He saved you, so he should be able to save anyone, right? Now, if you can't say amen to that, your wood is wet. <laughs> it is wet. Folks, we can't afford to be afraid. We don't have enough time to be afraid. We don't have enough time to be afraid, and the world is in, in such a place that it needs, it needs followers of Jesus to stand up and say, I'm not afraid to rub shoulders with you. I don't get dirty because I'm around you. Because I'm around you doesn't mean I even accept what you're doing is right. But because I follow Jesus, I believe you are worthy of being told about him. He made you. That made you worthy of hearing about him. Even if it's from me, that makes you worthy. We need those kind of followers in our world today.
It's not easy to do. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then after you enter into that relationship with Jesus, it requires a lot of retraining and rethinking as, as you walk with him, as you spend time in the word, as you pray, as you spend time with other believers. And that's why we encourage people to get connected in a local church. After you've, after you've uh, received Christ, after you've entered into a relationship with him, then, then get connected at a local church, and we would love for you to connect with us. And that's why we ask people to text the word CONNECT to 330-400-2869. You can do that right now, and you'll be in, in touch with a live person who will help and encourage you to live this kind of life and love this kind of way as we see in this passage this morning. Let's close with a prayer, a prayer that I leave with you for this week. Maybe you can use it later on this week as you talk to the Lord. It simply says, Father, forgive me for thinking that religion for you is the same thing as faith in you. Increase my faith so my religion will be a true expression of love and trust in you. Remove my prejudices and keep me from thinking and acting like there are people beyond your reach. Expand my understanding of your redemptive plan. Show me how I can join you in revealing your goodness to people around me. I pray it in Jesus' name. I hope that can be your prayer this week. God bless you. Thank you for being at Grace Bible Church. We'll see you next Sunday.